it's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. Thank you for joining us for our a special Labor Day show where I will analyze the latest news in our governing political party's war on labor. So yes, happy Labor Day, everybody. And sorry, listening at home, you can't uh, actually see the air quotes that I'm making at this point. Labor Day in this country has become more anti-Labor Day than Labor Day. We don't yet know, since I'm recording this over the weekend prior to Labor Day, we don't yet know what anti-Labor stooge Trump will put front and center at the Labor Day celebration like he did every other year. But Trump got his anti-Labor Day celebration off to an early start recently with the nomination of Eugene Scalia for Secretary of Labor. Eugene Scalia, the son of Antonin Scalia, the Supreme Court justice whose greatest contribution to labor was dying. Uh, no slouch in his own right in the anti-labor agenda, Eugene Scalia spent his entire life as a corporate lawyer with a history of fighting against the interests of labor and labor itself. Yes, this is the guy Trump has nominated to be Secretary of Labor. Eugene is now a partner at Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher, the famous law firm, where he was when his father decided the case of Bush v. Gore cast the deciding vote to make George W. Bush, boy George, the President of the United States, <laughs> regardless of what the puny voter might have thought. Yes, and Eugene Scalia will now be, or shortly be, in a position where he can make sure that any pro-labor rules that may have accidentally slipped through the cracks of the Trump administration's war on the regulatory state don't, in fact, get enforced. Yes, happy Labor Day, everybody. But anyway, no Labor Day celebration would be complete without talking about the impact on labor of, well, the sad news that we need to report for the week. Yes, I'm sure you've heard the news. We have to report upon the passing of David Koch. Okay, okay, the guy was a total shit and an affront to humanity, but it would be disrespectful to take pleasure out of the passing of a fellow so-called human being. So, here goes. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Yes, David Koch, who died at 79 of prostate cancer, died with only... $42 billion or so in the bank when he passed away. So he probably can't afford his own eulogy. And um, we'll, we'd like to fill in the gaps there by eulogizing David Koch. Well, not only is that $42 billion not by a eulogy, perhaps, but it's not enough money to be able to afford his own eulogy, so we will be eulogizing him and his accomplishments in his lifetime, along with his brother Charles Koch. 
two turds from the same bowl, so to speak, and it's just natural that we would lump them together in discussing David Koch's accomplishments in his lifetime. Starting, of course, with David Koch being one of the foremost climate change denialists in the world. Yes, climate change denialists, as the world heats up and melts all around us, to a large extent we have David Koch to thank for our unwillingness to do anything about that. David Koch, who made a fortune, or added to a fortune he was given, of course, when he was born, added to that fortune largely through fossil fuels and the oil and gas industry. He was basically anti-labor in every respect you could be anti-labor. Going against the interests of normal working people so he could have just a little bit more than the $41 billion he might have had otherwise. David Koch famously fought a minimum wage increase, or, well, who are we kidding? He fought a minimum wage, the very concept of there being a minimum wage. David Koch famously was a libertarian. Libertarian, of course, means someone who believes that we should all have the liberty to die poor and covered in pollution and slime and poison. A man who opposed in his lifetime Social Security. Why should people ever be able to retire if they're poor? And Medicare. Why should people get to go to a doctor? After all, if they are part of the working class. Yes, David Koch was natural. Tarian, making his money off of fossil fuels, which means making his money off of market externalities, as I've talked about on this show before. He's made billions of dollars by imposing his costs upon other people, people unlike him who can't afford to absorb those costs. As someone in the fossil fuel industry, he has made billions of dollars by dumping pollution and the effects of climate change and environmental degradation on the average working human being. And he strongly and principally believes that or believed that he has absolutely no responsibility to pay for such things. As a libertarian, he also really felt that theft was fine as long as you could get away with it. And get away with it he did, as apparently he spent years involved with oil theft, stealing money from other oil companies and from the states where he owed royalties for oil that he, it turns out, has been coming out in the news, that he lied about how much he was actually taking out of the ground. He was a libertarian who effectively built the Tea Party. That collection of fucking morons who were misled by rich people to do the bidding of the people who were absolutely destroying their lives and their future. He helped found the Cato Institute, a libertarian, here's the air quotes again, think tank, which was any, about anything and is about anything other than thinking, which was in fact about propaganda and once again convincing fucking morons that it would be a good idea to have rich people get more at the expense of their own lives. He did extensive lobbying of our government to make sure that our government did not do its job in promoting the interests of the American public, but instead did what he saw as its job of promoting the interests of himself. He was instrumental in spreading misinformation. He created propaganda outlets all across this country. 
in order to make sure that Americans were misled about everything that was going on once again so that people like himself could have more. He invested heavily in America. Well, investing heavily in America, I meant he spent a lot of money on politicians. He was a big funder of political campaigns, so to speak. In other words, legalized bribery to convince politicians to once again not do their jobs and instead work for him. Hopefully, they will always be remembered for the prank that I've reported on before that was done years ago by a radio station disc jockey in Wisconsin who called up then-Governor Scott Walker and pretended to be David Koch and got Scott Walker to take the phone and obsequiously demonstrate how basically he was owned by the Koch brothers. The Tea Party he founded, misinformation campaign, and the money he had to throw around on politicians intimidated the entire Republican Party and to some extent a lot of the Democratic Party as well and is more than anything else the reason that the Republican Party has become as absolutely insane and disgraceful as it's become today. He wasn't an early supporter of Donald Trump, but he is the reason that people like Donald Trump even exist within the Republican Party. There is nobody more responsible for the current state of the Republican Party and its blatant contempt for working men and women than David Koch. And his Orwellian-named, among other things, organization, Americans for Prosperity, which, of course, if there were truth in advertising, would be named Americans for My Prosperity. Screw them. If there is a hell, David Koch is currently residing there. And we can hope that he will spend eternity in hell, preferably as a little girl whose roommate is Jeffrey Epstein. And yes, it may be deemed churlish, but the greatest wish I can wish for Americans on this Labor Day is that his brother Charles follows real soon. Anywho, speaking of the damage that that piece of shit did to America, his spawn, Mr. President Bean, went back to Europe this week to the G7 summit. And there's, I guess, I don't know, a lot to talk about with respect to the G7 summit, all of which you've heard, and none of, none of which is really new. The President of the United States continues to embarrass this country, continues to be treated as the laughing stock he is by world leaders. He continues to lie every time he opens his mouth, lying about pretty much everything he opened his mouth about while he was at the G7, including the respect he gets from other foreign leaders. He continues to make America a laughing stock, a joke, and to make it very more very much more difficult for the next president of the United States to figure out a way to regain America's place in the international community. That is, for a long time, leading the international community, something we are clearly not doing anymore. But the most entertaining aspect, of course, of the president's trip to the G7 in Europe 
was the extent to which he demonstrated once again that he is nothing but an absolute shyster, a flimflam man, a con artist, a snake oil salesman, pick the metaphor you'd like. There, there was no image from the G7 more indelible than the United States president, the president of the United States of America, the leader of the free world, at least up until recently, doing an infomercial for his property in Florida. Well, just his latest infomercial. When he was talking about hosting the next G7 summit at his Doral Resort in Florida and spending all this time on an infomercial for why he should be pocketing off of the millions of dollars that having the world leaders come to his resort would actually put into his pocket. Emoluments clause, anybody? Uh, Clearly not one of the provisions of the Constitution that the president cares about. Provisions of the Constitution the president cares about apparently being the Second Amendment and the Electoral College, and I'm pretty sure that's about it. Also, probably the other ones you might have a chance of identifying. So the president did his infomercial about why he should have world leaders at his golf club, at his Doral Resort, spending millions of dollars. But it was not the only example this week of the con artist that is ruining, uh, running this country. Just this week, Attorney General Bill Barr, that lick spittle, has announced that he will be spending $30,000 on his annual Christmas bash at the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. Yes, Attorney General William Barr, the Christmas gift that just keeps on giving. $30,000 on a freaking Christmas party? Let's talk again, my my favorite theme about how many people in this country have way, way, way too much money. Obviously, Bill Barr's Christmas bash spending $30,000 on the kind of thing to influence wealthy, important people so that he would never have to actually work for a living or apply for a job, i.e. Attorney General. But also this week, in news that is even more problematic, the Washington Post has reported that Trump is pressuring officials to steer billions of dollars in construction funding for his useless border wall to a very well-connected Republican firm that had previously been passed over by the Army Corps of Engineers looking to consider construction for the project. Yes, pushing a GOP-connected company that doesn't have the qualification to do the job. How very American and merit-based of us. The Washington Post reported that he is pushing the Army Corps to reverse a prior decision and award a contract potentially worth billions of dollars to a GOP donor. A move that has, that quote, has alarmed military commanders and DHS, Department of Homeland Security officials. The Post reported, The donor has already been working with a private group called We Build the Wall, you, you got to figure how wonderful that group is with, the, with a name like that, to erect a section of prototype for the wall to make this a fait accompli. Among the group's advisors is an all-star cast of grifters and white nationalists, including former White House strategist Steve Bannon, Blackwater USA's Eric Prince, the brother of our current education secretary and uneducated human being Betsy DeVos, immigrant-bashing former Representative Tom Tancredo, 
and former Kansas Secretary of State and man who refuses to go away no matter how discredited he is and no matter how much the American public says go away, Chris Kobach. Yes, a reminder, my favorite theme, of how the rich simply do not play on the same playing field as the rest of us as we celebrate Labor Day. Consider the fact that the people who most people in this country look up to are the lowest form of shit on this planet using their political connections, their inside edge, and their status as already wealthy to make sure that you get frozen out of everything. God bless America. Anyway, speaking of Labor Day and the rich screwing everybody else, the war on the regulatory state continued apace this week and maybe even ramped up a bit. And there was a lot of news to report from the war on the regulatory state. The war on the regulatory state, of course, as I've noted before, simply being a proxy for a war for the rich against everybody else. Fundamentally, the regulatory state is not there to ensure that we have a future. It is there to ensure that the ultra-wealthy, the elites in society, do not pray, at least do not pray a little bit too much on everybody else in our society. So Trump's continue to weaken regulations across the board is clearly an indication of how the rich have declared war on everybody else in this country. Let's start with the latest weakening of protections under the Endangered Species Act, being done for the benefit of mining, timber, and fossil fuel industries. Those industries who exist simply by feeding off the public trough and then taking a dump in the public trough without having to clean it up or pay for it. Well, sure, why not benefit these companies a little bit a little bit more? Note that these are new interior department rules, not a new 50-year-old law such as we have preserving endangered species because of course they can't get a new law. They can't do this the above board way. Do you remember when Obama doing things through executive action was a bad thing? <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Anyway, states have been suing this week. The number of states suing the federal government, trying to compel enforcement of the Endangered Species Act keeps going up and up and up. And we could take great heart, will eventually be heard, probably by Trump-appointed judges. Oh, God. We're all in trouble. Six giant automakers are now balking at Trump's plan and join California in its efforts to roll back Trump's efforts to roll back automaker rules. And it's going to get worse in a moment. But for now, let me take a moment to point out that when automakers are opposed to your efforts to roll back auto regulations, you're, you're really doing something, and that something is clearly not good for the American public or for the planet. Trump has been making threats against mobile companies, but they're moving ahead with their efforts to undermine him. In any event, maybe the good news here is, like world leaders, maybe even a lot of big businesses in America have decided that the president of the United States is irrelevant and his threats don't matter. Or, you know, maybe they offered him a lollipop to mollify things. 
During the week, Trump has continued his relaxation of rules regarding the big banks. And why not? Just as a quick recap of stories that I've covered in depth before on this show, following the Great Depression in the 1930s in this country, we had the New Deal and we implemented financial regulations to prevent the banks whose misconduct greed, and greed caused the Great Depression from doing it again. Those rules worked for more than half a century, almost three quarters of a century. So naturally, in this country's move to conservatism from the 1980s onward, our, ship, our move drastically to the right in this country, since these rules were working so well, we repealed them. And once we repealed these rules that were designed to prevent another Great Depression, and who could have seen this company coming? It happened again. We had the Great Recession of the 2000s. We instituted under Obama some rules once again in the wake of the financial crisis and the Great Recession to try to prevent it from happening again. These are the rules that the Trump administration is removing. What could go wrong? The EPA this week is moving to curtail regulation of methane gas. Another big, big goal of the, of the fossil fuel industry, the mining industry, regulation of methane, a more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. Thank God climate change doesn't exist after all. And here one in which he's outstripped even the goals of the, of the oil and gas industry. Even oil companies are opposing his efforts to curtail regulation of methane. I'm sure it's the ones who actually aren't affected by those rules as much as the others. But still, there's a lot of pushback from the oil and gas industry at Trump's efforts to further poison our atmosphere, pollute our air, and destroy the planet. Oh, and by the way, before we move on from efforts to attack the regulatory state, the Trump administration has announced that they are about to, to lay out a plan to loosen clean water rules. Because after all, I mean, who needs to drink clean water after all? Yes, the war on average human beings, because the wealthy will be able to live places where they don't have to worry about the effects of all this environmental degradation. Maybe the big business news and regulatory state news this week came from the Business Roundtable. The Business Roundtable, a big group of business lobbyists, business organization, notably came out to talk about how they, in fact, uh, released a paper indicating that for the first time in 50 years, businesses should start considering in their actions somebody other than shareholders. That's right, that maybe businesses should consider the impact of what they do, not just on their owners and get them richer and richer and richer, but also maybe on the planet, customers, suppliers, etc. And there's been a lot of discussion about the impact of this and what it means. Well, this is something that I'm particularly I think, qualified to talk about, and I like to talk about a lot, one of the classes that I've been teaching for a lot of years is called Law and Ethics of Business. And uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about and talking about 
the concept of ethics in business. Well, well to, to be fair, I spend a lot of time thinking about it. I don't spend a lot of time talking about it because basically my class is, hi, everybody. Uh, let me take attendance. Okay, ethics in business, there are none. Let's move on. Let's talk about the laws regulating businesses such as they are. Because for 50 years, the consensus has been that there is no ethics in business. Businesses are supposed to care about absolutely nothing but themselves, supposedly their shareholders. Although in the real world, most executives have figured out ways to freeze most of them, them out anyway. So is there a possibility that we're actually going to change? Is the business roundtable statement going to mean anything? This is something I've talked about at length on the show in the past. Look for some of our old shows, including, I think, the very the, the second, first or second show we ever did a few years ago. But the first thing to know is there's a big question as to whether this statement would even be legal. That under the law, the expectation is, and under shareholder rules, businesses are responsible to promote the interests of their shareholders. Now, maybe if this becomes more commonly held, this belief that they should consider other stakeholders, then maybe this would give a little bit of cover to those business people who actually wanted to consider the fate of the planet when making decisions. I'm not so sure that there are a lot of people out there who would do that, but I think the bottom line, even if it provides some legal cover, and if it does, it could make some differences around the margins, actually. But the bottom line is, and one of the reasons there are no ethics in business is because business is competitive. And as long as people will get ahead by being less ethical, and that is the general rule of how ethics works, witness human beings in our society as well. But the bottom line is, for businesses, their goal is to stay in business. And if businesses acting ethically are put at a competitive disadvantage, that ultimately will lead to the end of such businesses, or at least they will not be doing nearly as well, and that will put tremendous pressure on them to start changing their ethical practices. Let's just say I'm a skeptic when it comes to the idea that businesses will police themselves. In fact, it's, it's important to note that some business organizations and CEOs specifically came out and opposed the business roundtable uh, position that, that they should consider other stakeholders. And while these people may, for the most part, just demonstrate themselves to be total ethicless and selfish shit, to a large extent, that may not be it. To, to some extent, I think that what the business roundtable is doing could potentially backfire for society at large, not to say that that's not their plan in the first place. One of the problems that I've always had with this concept of ethics is the idea that people in this country are led to believe that businesses will act ethically is a reason for us not to do what we need to do to make sure that businesses are forced to act ethically. In other words, we can accept this war on the regulatory state if we are comforted by the belief that businesses would not do things to harm my children. After all, these are human beings who are running them. Well, the people who are running them have had their humanity washed away over the years as they've risen up the corporate ladder for the most part. And the bottom line is for these businesses to behave in ways that do not destroy the planet, but instead act to benefit society at large, in other words, ethics, they need to be forced to do so. They need to be forced to do so by us as consumers. Although, let's be honest, that's not going to work very often. They need to be forced to do so by laws. And that is why what the Trump administration is doing 
is so obviously wrong socially, politically, economically, and basically in every measure of humanity. And why it will ultimately destroy the interests of including the millions of morons who vote for Donald Trump and every other working person or breathing person in America and the world. Of course, Trump's rollback of the red state is not this week's only example of the war being waged, waged by the rich against the working class and the poor. No, let's talk for a few moments about Trump's newly announced immigration policy, which would be laughable were it not Trump's newly announced immigration policy, where Trump has asserted that immigrants who use or are likely to use government benefits such as Medicaid, housing vouchers, and food stamps may be denied green cards and visas come this coming October. Or as was pointed out by Ken Cuccinelli, the acting director of Citizenship and Immigration Services. Talk about Orwellian. Give me, the, the, the sonnet on the Statue of Liberty should read, give me your tired and your poor who can stand on their own two feet and who will not become a public charge. Oh, inspiring words. Not nearly as inspiring as what's actually there, of course. What, what, what is there was written by uh, a woman whose ancestors had fled to America, Emma Lazarus, Lazarus from Brazil. And that did not stop our acting director of Citizenship and Immigration Services from nevertheless arguing that the sonnet was meant only to refer to European tired, European poor, and European huddled masses, despite the fact that it was written by a woman whose parents had fled from Brazil. Oh, yes, the freedom that being a member of the Trump administration must bring to not have to worry about truth and facts and stuff. Aside from the obvious offensiveness of this statement, aside from the un-Americanness, aside from the affront that it offers to 200 years of American so-called openness and being a melting pot, let's analyze the facts of that statement. This whole concept of the poor becoming public charges, as I've argued many times on this show, let's never forget who are the greediest pigs at the public trough, the super rich, who get way more from our government and our society than any poor people get in this country. And that refers to every person currently in the Trump administration who is clearly getting way more from the public dole than any poor people will ever get. And people who for their whole lives, almost all of whom are fabulously wealthy and therefore have been feeding at the public trough for their whole lives. The rich get way more from government than the poor will ever get through subsidies and all kinds of other things. Just in the paper within the last day or so, the fact that a tax plan nationwide aimed at giving tax breaks for development in economically distressed areas is in fact being primarily used by the ultra-wealthy 
for the ultra-wealthy, including many of our favorite Trump characters, including his son-in-law and his family. This whole idea that they have managed to get working people in this country to look around them at their fellow working people and think, that's the enemy, rather than their corporate masters, is truly the, the greatest trick the Republican Party has ever played. You know, speaking of the Cokes we were, do you know that this week 680 workers were detained following a raid on a Coke Industries-owned poultry plant? The owners of that plant that hired undocumented immigrants were not charged with anything. In fact, the state helped them to find new workers. That's right. The state paid for this company to find workers to replace the undocumented workers it had been exploiting before once the state came in and threw out those workers. This points out the interesting relationship between businesses and the undocumented overall. It is, of course, U.S. businesses that have been behind the rise of undocumented labor in America because they love undocumented labor. Nobody benefits from the undocumented in this country quite so much as the businesses that exploit them do. So that leads to the question, Trump's war on immigration, why would Trump be undermining business? Is this one of those few areas where Trump does show that he is not a traditional Republican? <laughs> Clearly not. Trump has never given a shit about workers. He never had any problem with wealthy people. We've seen this week that maybe we have an answer regarding the crackdown. And an answer might have to do with the concept of labor rights. In many parts of this country, the undocumented have actually figured out ways to try to assert their labor rights and avoid exploit exploitation, to try to get protection from our laws. Well, to the extent that they're able to do that and trying to do that, then there's really no point in bringing in undocumented workers anymore if they are not exempt from the rules that govern domestic workers or do citizen domestic workers. That could be part of it. The more noxious reason however, is that, in fact, businesses have figured out how to make sure that even workers with citizenship rights get exploited and don't have any legal protection. Trump's rollback of all kinds of rules regarding labor rights and labor protections have meant that businesses are free to exploit citizens just as much as they were able in the past to exploit the undocumented. The appeal of exploiting the undocumented is not only that they would take the jobs because they were so desperate, but also that the laws could be violated with impunity because these people were in no position to be able to assert their rights. Well, if there are no laws left to assert, then you might as well hire people who would be able to assert their rights if you were violating laws that no longer exist. It's starting to get a little complicated, but I think you kind of get the point. The nature of this fraught relationship between government and business and labor was illustrated in some respects recently by, here's the Cokes again, where workers at one Coke plant actually were able to unionize. Before that, they even had won a $3.5 million lawsuit in the Equal, uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission for racial and sexual harassment. 
This was before the Trump administration was able to repeal all the laws that allowed them to bring a suit in front of the EEOC and replaced all of the EEOC members with Trump apparatchiks who don't care about labor. It was before they were able to repeal all the laws protecting unionization. Most of the laws have been repealed, but not all of them. They're still working on it. So what was the result of the fact that workers at this Coke plant were able to assert their rights? Well, that Coke plant was subsequently raided by federal authorities. And undocumented workers were shipped out of the country. Message being sent to people. Try to assert your rights and we will screw with you. So that once again leads us to our favorite discussion of how this country needs to stop looking up to people with money. And until we do that and understand that these people are inferior rather than superior, to understand that great wealth in this country is a reflection of how much value you take out of the country, not how much you put in, we will never be able to move forward and have the revolution that Bernie Sanders properly says we need. And we will address that, I promise, on a show very shortly on our next show. Until then... Be well, enjoy your Labor Day, and see you soon. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 